Good morning. I want to invite you to turn to Psalm 23, which is in your programs. We are in this series, uh, a sermon series called Praying the Psalms. And uh, when we learn to pray the Psalms, we are in training. We are, in tr- we are undergoing a training regiment as the people of God. Uh, so that we can become, we can live into our identity as the people of God. The cultural air that we breathe is that prayer is for peace and quiet. Prayer is for getting calm. And it's, it's kind of, prayer is kind of the religious equivalent of going to your happy place. Where it's like, okay, you need to go to your happy place and just calm down, uh, then, then you pray. And one of the things that we learn about the ancient gifts uh, of the Psalms is that uh, if the Psalms have anything to say about it, prayer ain't very quiet. And prayer ain't very happy most of the time. Prayer is actually quite raw and quite honest. Uh, I've said this in our, uh, uh, before earlier in the series, but Walter Brueggemann puts it like this. Uh, prayer, uh, the Psalms are a great act of faith wherein uh, everything is brought to speech. Everything in the human condition, evil and hard and rough, is brought to speech. And everything brought to speech is brought before the presence of the living God. That is an act of faith. And that is what the Psalms teach us to do. Not to go to our happy and quiet place, but to go to our chaotic and painful place and bring that before the presence of the living God. Come in all of our weakness, come in all of our insecurity, come in all of our our anxieties, and bring it before the presence of the living God with all manner of honesty, and we give Him, we entrust Him, with our heart's cry. We entrust Him with our very life. And it's a God that will actually engage us. It's not a distant God that will tell us just to calm down. (laughs) It's a God that will hear our screams. And if we have hope that there is one who will hear us scream that can do something about it, we have the hope, we have the oxygen we need to take big gulps of breath and cry out before the Lord, knowing that He will hear our prayer. So, so far we've looked at Psalm 22, uh, which is a prayer of lament. Last week we looked at Psalm 30, which is a a cry for hope, a cry of hope. And today we're going to look at Psalm 23, and this is a prayer of radical trust. And whether you're here, you consider yourself a Christian, or whether you're here, you consider yourself a non-religious person, I want to introduce to you a shepherd king. I want to introduce to you a leader uh, who calls all of us on a journey with him, uh, that will bring not only peace to our life, but also bring, uh, bring an ultimate resolution to our heart's cry and to our very life. Uh, Psalm 23 teaches us to trust, and we all need to learn how to trust. Whether we're children, whether we're teenagers, whether we're adults, we need to learn how to trust. No matter how much responsibility we have or don't have, we have to learn the art of trusting. Um, because our default is anxiety. Our default is anxiety, and here's why. Ultimate responsibility can ultimately wreck you. Ultimate responsibility can ultimately be radioactive. Um, When there's a gap between the things that we take responsibility for and the things that we actually have control over, There's usually a gap in between those two things. We take ultimate responsibility for something in our life, a person, a project, 
something going right, but we only have this much control. What goes in the gap? Usually it's anxiety. And that anxiety oftentimes leads to anger or despair, driving other people crazy. That anxiety can do awful, awful things. That anxiety is radioactive. It is like taking on a super heavy cloak of responsibility. I'm going to take complete responsibility for this person. I'm going to take complete responsibility for this cause. I'm going to take complete responsibility uh, for, for this project. And that cloak ends up making us sweat ourselves to death because our, our shoulders aren't big enough to carry that cloak. And so we become full of anxiety and, and it wears us down and it becomes radioactive. I'll give you a, an example of how this works. So uh, we've got a cockroach problem in our apartment. Okay, there it is. <laughs> Too late, you've already come over for newcomer's dinner. Okay, they come out around 10 o'clock. All right, we turn the lights on and they're like, eh, uh, and then, you know, they, they run away. And like at some point in the last couple of months, I've taken on the responsibility of eliminating them, of killing them. And so I've watched all these YouTube videos and done all this research. How do you get these cockroaches, not just to kill one or two, but to kill the whole Dagon clan? <laughs> and so I've tried all these different recipes that I, that I, I was giddy, you know, 11.05 at night, <laughs> boric acid combined with sugar, and you know, you're all gonna die. And I just get so excited and just, you know, my hope, I, I have great hope, that's, there's going to come a day where I'm just not going to see anymore. I'll flip the lights on and they'll be gone. But these little suckers, they're so smart. Seriously, they are so evolved. Uh, I walked in the other night and several of them were like doing a Dante book club right in the middle of my kitchen. In the Latin. They're smart, these cockroaches. They're outsmarting me, and, and there are times, seriously, where I haven't been able to fall asleep. I've been too busy with the boric acid and too excited and too anxious that, that I can't fall asleep after I've, after I've tried my secret Walter White recipes on them. It just doesn't work. I've got the cloak of responsibility to defeat them, take an ultimate responsibility, but my control is like here, and the cockroach's control is like right here, and this is my place of anxiety and anger, and radioactive neuroses. And this is the place where a lot of us live. We've got responsibility, and no one's above us. There's not a stronger person who's got responsibility over us. We've got it. We've taken it onto ourselves. It's ours. But then it ends up wrecking us. It ends up being so radioactive and so full and too much for our life. What have you taken ultimate responsibility for? A lot of us take responsibility for people. Who are you trying to change in your life? Um, you know, if you're a parent, you, you feel so much responsibility for your children, don't you? And in some ways, it feels like you have ultimate responsibility. When they're babies, you, they depend on you for everything, and you can see the direct influence of your actions towards them, and you can shape them, and you can fight for them, and you can feed them, and, and it really does have an effect. The responsibility is real. But the older they get, the less and less control you have over your children, how they think, what they value, what they're drawn to, how powerful culture is on their minds and hearts. And, and so the, the, the less power we have, as our power 
um, in our children's life diminishes, our anxiety can ratchet up and up and up. Parents, our parents or our bosses, we want to control them. We want to manipulate them. We want them to do something specific for us. They have power over us. They can do something. If they get onto, if they, if they, if they make the right decision, if they see things the way we see it, well then, well then reality can really change and we can get what we need and uh, we do things to control them. When they start to, to pull away or withdraw or when they start to go the other direction, we start pressing harder and our anxiety goes up and we get anxious. Some of you are, who are in helping professions, you're a counselor, you're a medical professional, you're a lawyer, uh, you help people with addictions, um, you help people, uh, perhaps you're an educator, and there are people that you're trying to help and they won't cooperate. They, they don't listen to you. They don't listen to reason or wisdom or truth. They don't follow the plan. They don't shut up. They don't sit down. And so... Uh, they elude your control, and, and, and as you can see, man, if only you would go this way, it would be so much easier for you. If only you would listen to what I'm trying to tell you, um, and, and they don't, and so our anxiety can go up when we try to help these people. Our anxiety can go up when we are, when we are advocating for someone or counseling someone or lifting someone up. Some of you are, are entrepreneurs uh, and, or you're investors or you started a small business and market conditions. So maybe you're not trying to control people, but really you're trying to control market conditions or time market conditions. And, and because if they just go in the right way, just the right way, if the market conditions just shift a little bit in your favor, it could change everything. It could change, it could revolutionize your business. It could give you so much help, so much power. And yet we can't control market conditions and so we watch the market and it drives us crazy. Fill in the blank. I just need blank. I have a vision and I have a burden for blank. I just want fill in the blank. It's that cloak of responsibility that we take on. It is ours. It is our mission. It is our vision. It is our responsibility. It is our dream. But it sweats us to death with anxiety. And it drives people around us crazy. Who, who are you driving crazy? That's, a, that's kind of a helpful way of finding out what responsibility do you want, do you have? Striving, weariness, and for some people, despair. You just give up, and then you don't take appropriate responsibility because you've taken up too much responsibility, and it's driven you mad. Responsibility is good. Ultimate responsibility can wreck us. Responsibility is good. Ultimate responsibility can be toxic, can be radioactive, can be destructive to our souls. The author of our, of our psalm, Psalm 23, it says, uh, this is the psalm of David. Uh, he had more responsibility, safe to say, than all of us combined. He was a king of a nation, and um, he, he had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people looking up to him for leadership, for guidance, for problem solving. He was their military commander. Um, uh, he led a huge family himself, too many children to count. Um, he was involved in massive, massive projects. He was able to unite two major kingdoms into one kingdom, one nation, and move the capital, move the capital city. 
and keep everybody united. No easy job at all. So, so he had a lot of responsibility. He had, if there's anyone who, who could take on the heaviest cloak there was to take on at that time, man, it would be David. Um, and, and yet, and yet, David was not in ultimate control. David, as we see in the psalm, did not have ultimate responsibility. He had found a place where the gap between responsibility and control could close in a meaningful, peaceful way, not in an anxious way. He had found a strong person in whose presence anxiety could be swallowed up and trust could flow. And in this psalm, David opens up a window into his own heart and demonstrates that the freedom, there is freedom that comes from the one who is himself led by a king. David was himself led by a king. Look with me in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. This statement is the headline over the entire psalm. This statement is the meaning of the whole psalm and the meaning of David's life. When we, uh, when we are in the presence of a strong, trustworthy, loving person, we can let our guard down. We can take off that cloak because there's someone else who will deal with the cockroaches. There's someone else who's going to deal with the addict that won't cooperate. There's someone else who can really and truly guide our children and help them and bring them to a place of flourishing. There is someone else who can be ultimately in charge of our business. There is someone else who's ultimately shepherding and watching over our very life and the good of the world. We don't have to take on that as our ultimate responsibility when someone stronger walks into the room who says, I'm here to handle this. I'm here to take care of you. I will be your good Leader, I will be your good shepherd. I will be both loving and powerful for your good. When someone like that walks into the room, we can take off the cloak of responsibility. We can take off the cloak of anxiety. And we can let them lead. And we can let them care for us. And we can let them be in charge. And that is what David found the capacity to do. And this is what the Psalms give us the capacity to do to say the Lord is my shepherd. He's actually the one who's going to close the gap between what I can control and what needs to happen. He can close the gap. He can transform the gap. Trust is an absence of anxiety. Is there someone you can trust? Trust is an absence of anxiety. If you can't trust, you probably have anxiety. Trust flows in the direction of strength. Trust flows in the direction of strength towards someone who is capable, someone who is resourceful, someone who is benevolent, someone who is watching out for our good, someone who is observant, someone who knows our situation, someone um, whose mission is even better than ours, someone who is even more capable of carrying out the mission than we are capable of, someone who is watchful, someone who is even ruthless to deal with evil and to deal with enemies. They will use force and strategy against our enemies, against our powerful threats. If there was someone like that in our life, we could calm down, we could follow, we could have confidence, we could engage, we could open up our life. And David himself says at the end of verse 1, I shall not want. I shall not be in want. This is simply a verb that means I shall not be in poverty. I shall not lack for what I need. 
There is, there, is, uh, there is nothing that I need that I'm not getting, and it's because the Lord is my shepherd and he is providing. There is eating because of the shepherd. There is following because of the shepherd. There is dwelling because of the shepherd. There is not fearing because of this shepherd king. And so we can let our guard come down and say, I shall not want. Everything I need is being provided for, not of my own hand, not of my own doing. Someone else stronger than me. Not randomness. Someone, some person who knows my life is helping me. We need someone who can help us not be God anymore. We need someone to be God so we don't have to be God anymore. It's so freeing. David gives us three reasons we can trust this king. Number one, the provision of a shepherd brings satisfaction to the sheep. Number two, the guidance of the shepherd is worthy to be followed. And number three, the table of the shepherd is our ultimate destination. So the shepherd gives provision, and that brings satisfaction to us. The shepherd is worthy to be followed, which brings us peace. And the table of the shepherd is our ultimate destination. No matter which way you're going, the shepherd is calling you to his, ultimately to his table, where he will feed you and host you. Um, so look at verse 2 with me. The shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures. He leads me, he leads David, he leads anyone who will follow him besides still waters. Now green pastures are a source of food and a place of rest. In the wilderness, these green pastures were the only way that sheep could feed. That's the only way that these ancient estates could find a way to like raise sheep up and fatten them up. Um, but you had to be on the move, and a shepherd had to be watchful and finding enough uh, grass in the, in, in the wilderness for the sheep to feed on. And then it says, he leads me beside still waters. And these are little pools of water that the rocks trap and the sun does not evaporate. This is an insight by John Golden Gay, the uh, commentator on Psalm 23. And so there's enough, the shepherd has been thinking about this need to provide for the sheep. And so he's led them to a place where the sheep can feed and where they can find water. And then he says, he restores my soul. This is the beginning of verse 3. He restores my soul. Um, so um, I'm laying down in green pastures. That means I'm already full. I've, I've, already, I've already feasted, and there's still grass to lay on. Um, I've already drank, and there's a place of rest. Now, now think about this. What's, what's necessary for us who ourselves need food and, and, and water and a place to rest? What's necessary for us to be in that spot? I mean, even in the city, you've got to find a job, right? To, to, or someone else has got to have a job uh, for you to, to have money to buy food and, uh, and water. And, and then you need to find an apartment. You need a place to sleep, right? You need a place to dwell. That's not easy. That takes a lot of work, intentionality, Craigslist hunting, and all manner of inconvenience. Then you need to, like, get kitchen supplies to make the food, right? And so that's an IKEA trip. And and that's gas money, and then you've got to unpack it all, and then, then you've got to get your, get your mattress up the stairs. <laughs> then you've got to feed the people who are getting the mattress up your stairs. Okay? You know, and then you've got to, you know, and then you've got to put everything away, and then you've got to clean your sheets. Okay? The, 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 the point at which you are fully fed, fully victualed, and you have a bed to sleep in, in the city, it's quite a lot of work to get there, isn't it? Quite a lot of intentionality, quite a lot of thinking, quite a lot of sweating. Someone has been watching over the sheep. 
Someone has been doing a lot of work, and it's the shepherd. It's the watchful shepherd. He's been thinking about it. He's been acting. He's been leading. He's been strategizing. He's been beating off the, uh, the enemies. He's been protecting. He's led the sheep to a place where there's enough grass to eat, so much that you can lay down in peacefulness, so much uh, that you've been fully watered, and a place where there are no enemies. You can, your anxiety level can go all the way down to zero, and you can sleep, sleep well. How much of our controlling behavior comes from a fear of not having enough? How much of our anxiety comes from the belief, I am my own ultimate provider, and I've got to scheme my way to have enough? You know, David was responsible for his own provision and the provision of many, many, many others. He was not only a military commander, he had to think economically. He had to think in terms of resources. And there was, as there is now, fight over resources, war over resources, strategy over resources. But he knew that ultimately he could trust God for his own provision and for the provision of all the people that he led. He was fully satisfied by the provider and by the provision. So the provision of a shepherd brings satisfaction to the sheep. I shall not want Secondly, the guidance of the shepherd is worthy to be followed. Look with me in the the second half of verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Think about this. This can also be translated, better translated, he leads me in paths of faithfulness, faithful paths. There's There's a moral quality to the path that I'm walking on. You can track the path, and go, there's something morally good and righteous about this path, and it reflects the one who has designed it. It brings glory to the one who is designing it. That is why when I walk this faithful path, it reflects on the name, the goodness of the name of the good shepherd. It reflects on him, on his character, this path, this righteous path, this purposeful path. It's not a random path. It's not a random journey. It's a strong and trustworthy path. Sometimes it includes suffering. Sometimes it includes provision. But it is a good and right path. Some of us wonder if it is up to us to plan for the perfect life. And this creates anxiety. Some of us want a really awesome life. (laughs) A really meaningful life. Like, you want a documentary to be made about your life, don't you? Yeah, you do. You want there to be a biography about you, don't you? Maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe just a blog post. Okay, about your life. About the meaning of your life. In any case, a lot of us have the fear of missing out. The fear of making the wrong call. The fear of do I or do I not enter in this graduate program? Do I or do I not start kids now? Do I or do I not marry this person now? What school should my kid go to? What uh, education should they get right now so they'll be economically ready for the new century? Uh, maybe they should learn Mandarin so they can survive in the new economy. <laughs> Not a bad idea. <laughs> but we worry about our perfect life. We worry about a good ending to our life. And this creates anxiety because we can't ultimately write our own story as hard as we try. The people that try the hardest to write their own story to write their own meaningful life, to write their own biography as they go, have the most neuroses and the most anxiety, and drive other people crazy because they have to control people so that they can be the savior, so that they can be the center of attention, so that they can have something dramatic 
and true and beautiful be said about their life at the end of the day. So we have this fear that we're not going to make the right choices. In our own small ways, in our own ways, we, we do this. And the good shepherd has a righteous path. The good shepherd is in charge of the path. The good shepherd is ultimately writing our biography. And it's a righteous and a good one. All we have to do is say yes. And it's going to look different for all of us, but it's all going to lead to the same place and give glory to someone who's not us, which is wonderfully freeing. This is a hard path. None of us will escape it. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the valley of the shadow of death, better translated the valley of, uh, the valley of deep darkness. The valley is of, the, of deep, deep darkness. And this is metaphorical language, friends. So the valley of deep darkness for David looked very different than it's going to look like for you, for me. But we all have to deal with this darkness. Sometimes the darkness is simply we don't know what's in front of us. We don't know what's around the bend. We are facing a measure of uncertainty. We are facing a measure of be- things being fluid and up in the air, which is really hard. It's hard for everybody. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. When things are up in the air and not defined, where's this relationship going? Where's this job going? Where's this organization going? Where's my career going? Darkness can sometimes simply be the unknown, and that, that could destroy us with anxiety, except for the fact that our good shepherd is leading us into darkness. Um, one commentator noted that um, it is possible for a valley of darkness to be the very place where grass would grow, to be the very place where water could be obtained. Sometimes the place of our greatest provision is also the place of great darkness, where enemies are lying in wait. And there are enemies lying in wait. We all have them. Uh, uh, further in verse 4, it says, I will fear no evil. And there is evil in our world. And there are people who oppose us. There are systems that are evil. There are systems that are unjust. Sometimes they snare us. Sometimes they capture our imagination. For you are with me. I will not fear this darkness. I will not fear the evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So in my pain and suffering and danger, where evil wants to consume me, where darkness wants to swallow me up, I will not fear. I'm walking through the valley, but there's someone stronger. There's someone who has a bigger cloak, broader shoulders, more strength, who is, follow, who is leading me on a righteous and good path that has meaning and purpose, and he is watching over my life, and I can have peace. There's a rod and there's a staff. These are symbols of the power of the shepherd. Symbols of the power of the shepherd. They're strong tools. They're used lovingly by a good shepherd. Um, and it's one of the reasons that we don't need to have ultimate responsibility for our life is that Jesus himself carries a rod and a staff, and he protects us from evil. He, he, he fends off the enemy, and he has done so in a number of ways for all of you, for me, ways that we can see and ways that we can't see. We've been protected from evil. We have been in ways that we, we won't even know this side of, of this, this side of heaven, how the Lord has protected us, how the Lord is protecting us and fending off and holding back evil, and he's doing that from his own power which holds the world together. Um, bad leaders would abandon us in situations like this. Bad leaders would, would simply abandon us in danger. But God does not, because our Lord is our shepherd through death. 
the cross. This is God's rod. This is God's staff. And what's interesting is that it is this place where he defeated evil by receiving it into himself, by receiving it into his very self. He let evil come down upon him so that he was ultimately destroyed. But because of that, God raised him from, the de- from, from death, and he now reigns. This is now a symbol of the fact that God reigns over evil, and he reigns over, the, he, can, he has the power and the authority to tell death to die, to, to tell evil to turn back on itself. Because he was crucified by evil, and God raised him up from the death, and now he is alive and he can comfort us because he is Lord over every enemy and authority over anything that could threaten us. So the good shepherd protects us and he leads us in such a way where even if he leads us, when we are brushing up against evil, when we are in the midst of darkness, we do not need to be afraid, we do not need to fear anxiety because we are not the Lord of history and we are not the Lord over evil. It is not incumbent upon our shoulders to defeat evil once and for all. The Lord may give us responsibility in his kingdom and in his way to fight evil, but we are not ultimately responsible. If we try to be, evil will consume us. So, the provision of the shepherd brings satisfaction to the sheep. The guidance and protection of the shepherd is worthy to be followed. And finally, the table of the shepherd is our ultimate destination. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And friends, we are now in the presence of a king. It turns out that this shepherd became a king. Not only the one who wrote the psalm, but the one he wrote the psalm to. He's a shepherd who's also a king. And now we're in the king's table, and now we see where he's been leading us our whole life. We're in a royal court, and we are receiving royal hospitality. A, a lush feast is spread before us. And again, it's, it's, a, it's a restatement of, of uh, the first two verses in the psalm. We are fed again. We are given drink again. But, but this time, there's a table prepared by a king himself. And it's in the presence of my enemies. There's an overflowing, satisfying cup. And our heads are anointed with oil. And this is an ancient way of showing hospitality to someone. Hey, you, you've been on a journey, you, you're tired, you, you probably smell a little bit. You need some oil, you need some perfume, let's anoint your head with it. This is a, a symbol of rest, a symbol that you are now protected, you are now hosted, you are now in someone else's house, someone else is taking responsibility for your well-being. And in this case, it's the king himself. You are seated, we are seated, David is seated at a royal table. And, th- and there's enemies there, that's, that's amazing that there's enemies there presence of my enemies. Well, this could be that you are vindicated in the sight of your enemies. Some of us need that. Some of us need to be vindicated because we have enemies that have opposed us, accused us, and we need to be vindicated in the sight of our enemies. But others of us, we need to be reconciled with our enemies. And we see this again and again in the kingdom of God, that he's always reconciling enemies. It could be that um, in the course of your life, whether it's on this side of death or the other side of death, the Lord will bring reconciliation between you and one of your worst enemies. And it will be at the king's table. It will be around a royal feast laid by the king himself, the one who was crucified and raised, rose to life. 
There is lavish food. There is utter well-being at the king's table. Utter well-being. There is no anxiety. There is only peace. This is the feast which ends, as Walter Brueggemann says, all diet of tears. This is the feast that ends all diet of tears. This is the cup that ultimately satisfies. This reminds us, he says uh, further in his book, Praying the Psalms, this is all of the good tables at which you have ever sat and the experiences of joy that happen there and the subsequent vibrations that you have from them. This is the ultimate table, the ultimate joy, the ultimate feast that has been waiting for you that your soul longs for, that you cannot set yourself. This is the end and resolution of your life. Because, friends, let's be honest. We don't want to just control the cockroaches. We don't want to just control people. We don't want to just control uh, the weather. We do want to control. We have a temptation to control how our life and how the world is going to end And we have all this fear that we're going to go the wrong way or make the wrong choice. Or that other people won't come through for us. Look with me in verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. This is an intensive verb. Surely goodness and mercy shall track me down all the days of our life. Friends, we cannot make all the right decisions. We cannot make all the right provisions. We cannot perfectly fashion our own biography. We cannot control other people. We cannot control the weather. We cannot control geopolitical politics. No social media campaign is going to fix the big problems of the world. What we most want to happen in the world, we will go astray. Not only can we not fix others, we can't even control ourselves most of the time. This is why David compared himself and humanity like sheep. Sheep are always going astray. They're always going, oh, it's over here, it's over here. Maybe I'll go over here. That's where the good, good stuff is. Oh, maybe I'll go over here. Oh, that's cool. Is that, that's a hairy guy. No, that's a wolf. Come over here. <laughs> Goodness himself, mercy himself, is not only leading us, he's also tracking us down. He's like a sheepdog coming up behind us and picking us up when we go the wrong way and putting us back on the right path. No, 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 no. don't go over there. Come over here. You're supposed to go this way. The king's table is this way. The king's table is not that way. The king's table is not that way. The king's table is this way. So the king picks us up. And goodness and mercy tracks us down and follows us. We go the wrong way all the time. And there's so much comfort in knowing that even though the king does give us responsibility in his goodness and in his mercy, he is goodness and mercy himself that tracks us down and follows us when we don't make the right decisions. If we let him have that responsibility, we realign ourselves with reality because Jesus is alive and he is at work in the world and he is tracking you down. Whether you consider yourself a Christian or perhaps a non-religious person, this is the invitation of Jesus. No matter where we are at, he is saying, you are my sheep, you belong to me. All that's required of us is to say, yes, I I will follow you. I do trust you. I'm not the good shepherd. I'm not the king. I'm not goodness and mercy incarnate. But you are. I trust you. That's the only movement he asks of us, whether we're Christians or whether we're outside of the Christian faith. That's the only response he asks of us. And he will lead us the rest of the way. Perhaps there are some of you who 
you, you don't know who this Jesus is, I invite you simply to open your heart to him and say, yes, good shepherd, lead me to the next step. That's what Jesus asks of you. Tell me on your communication card that that's what you're praying, and I will begin to pray with you. Let me know how me or other leaders can, can, can be on this journey with you. This is a journey for everybody. Or perhaps you are in a place where you feel like, man, I, I don't even feel Jesus at all. I am nowhere near where I'm supposed to be. I don't even know if I'm on the right path. I am in complete darkness. Jesus calls to you. You are not beyond his voice. You are not beyond his reach. We will come in a few moments to the table of our Lord. And this is the place where we are reminded and where we can taste and see that the king's table is our true home. It's the place where our life finds resolution. It's the place where our anxieties about all the things that we can't control get melted away. It's the place where we can say, even though I am completely a wreck, the Lord is my shepherd and I I have enough in him. I have enough guidance from him. I have enough provision from him and I have him. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That is the promise of God to you. It is not up to the sheep to find their final destination. It's up to the good shepherd, and trust can flow to him because he's strong and because he's good. Ultimate responsibility can ultimately destroy us. Ultimate trust in the good shepherd will ultimately bring us life. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.